Lord God, you are indeed the giver, the good king. As James says correctly, every good thing comes from the Father above. And so as we journey on through the season of Advent, as Christmas is around the corner, we thank you that you came to us the most perfect special gift ever in your son. And we thank you, God, that you have not left us in this world, but that you will come to take us home. And so until that day, may we be faithful, may we be hopeful, may we find that peace and joy that comes from something beyond this world. And Lord, you are our treasure, you are our home, so help us to have open hearts and minds as we journey through here. At this time, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you speak through me that these words that from your scriptures are living words will cut through our heart, open our eyes that we may be emboldened, encouraged, and that we would move towards where you want us to go. All of this for your glory, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there's a phrase that we hear in America, uh, kicking someone when they're down. Kicking someone when they're down. So what does that mean? That means when somebody is going through a struggle or trial or they're embarrassed or they're hurt, uh, you kick them when they're down. Uh, this is a phrase that we hear, and, and the actual definition of this idiom is to criticize, exploit, insult, or otherwise treat badly one who has already suffered a setback or is in a vulnerable position. And so around the world right now, there's a lot of this, and another word for this is injustice. So there was a movie that my family saw called Lion, and it was about India, uh, the impoverished area, and there was a little boy who was separated from his par parents, and then... It's a true story about how he was subject to being victimized by traffickers, um, just pedophiles, and it's a true story of how he survived. And so these injustices are kicking people when they're down, uh, exploiting your power to hurt them. And so a similar phrase we hear is some people help the wounded, some people shoot the wounded. And so it's such a prevalent phrase that there was a lady who wrote a book called Shoot the Wounded, and she says this. What we do to people who are the most vulnerable, we shoot the wounded as if they haven't suffered enough. We add to it by gossiping and treating hurt people like outcasts. So in middle school, this happens a lot in high school. Maybe it happens in adults in social media world. What happens in school when a kid trips or something embarrassing happens at school? What do kids do? They surround them, they hug them and love them and cry with them, right? No. <laughs> Um, what they do is they all take out their phones, and they're like, yeah. And they put it on social web. Look at Joey. He fell. Joey, like, uh, his zipper was open. And so it's kicking people when they're down. We do this. Adults do this. Sometimes more bluntly, more subtle ways. And so we have become experts for some reason at crushing people when they're down. And I try to stay away from tabloids. But, you know, when Harry and Meghan are in the news and, and you see this, the one thing that comes through is, man, we love bad news when these celebrities are going through trials. We love kicking these celebrities. Well, they did it to themselves. They're in the public spotlight. And so we do this. And so there's a time coming where we look at the world and we realize that's not the way we should live. This is not the way that God has called us to live. And so in Isaiah 42, what we hear is a servant is coming and has come. And this servant does the exact opposite of what the culture tells us to do. 
he takes bruised reeds, and instead of breaking them and throwing them to trash, he keeps them. He takes flickering candle wick, and instead of looking at them as discarding them, these worthless things, he remembers them. He goes to them. And so the servant is different. And so when we live like the servant, we are living counterintuitive to the culture of what's in our heart. So Isaiah 42, the first of four servant songs, so they call this servant songs. These are four uh, chapters in Isaiah that depict the Messiah. It ends with Isaiah 52, 53. We'll touch upon that. And so this verse 1, it starts with this. This is the servant in whom God delights. And then verse 2, he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. This servant is unlike any other servants because he doesn't use power and voice and command to get his point. He doesn't bark. So the word in Hebrew is actually to cry aloud is bark. Um, and it's also a similar term. When you go to a movie theater and the movie stops, what do people do? Boo! Give us back, turn it back on. That's the word for cry aloud. It's a complaining, nagging, obnoxious yell. And this servant doesn't bark or make it heard in the street. He's different. And so verse 3 says, a bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. It has to do with justice to this week. Uh, a lot of times, you know, uh, I remember school, um, one of the most stressful times in school was going to a new lunch cafeteria at a new school. Where do I sit? I've experienced that in 10th grade. I'm the only Asian Korean boy in the whole school. Get my tray. And how do you pick? Who's friendly? Who won't beat me up? And then who's also kind of cool? And so I sat by myself. So I sat by myself for like 10 weeks. No, it wasn't 10 weeks. It was about two weeks. And then suddenly the, the kids that I ended up hanging out with were metalheads. Because I actually got, loved Metallica, Guns N' Roses, heavy metal. And so, you know, you're, you're kind of clustered with them. It's, it's kind of tough finding your place. It's kind of tough being an outcast. It's kind of tough being the forgotten one. And in society, once a, once a year, even our church, we try to help out. But we know they're always around us, the forgotten, the marginalized. The ones that the world says, ugh, good thing I'm not them or uh, God bless you, but we'll kind of keep to ourselves. Th those are the bruised reeds that Isaiah is talking about. The neglected, forgotten by the society. And so the servant goes to them. The servant loves them. In fact, the servant, it almost implies that's who the servant came for. Verse 4, he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. So there's a couple, just two things that I want to highlight from that is he is establishing justice on the earth. And justice, we'll talk about that in a short second, is the order of power according to God. But he doesn't just do it for Israel. Where did you see it? He does it for the whole earth. The Messiah isn't just for Israel, Isaiah is saying. The Messiah is for the whole world. And so we're going to look into this. And I want to say today, this text, a bruised reed, he will not break. It matters to you and me today. Because, watch this, 
Raise your hand if at one point or you are a bruised reed. Let's get Pentecostal here. I'm going to raise two hands. A bruised reed, if you listen to the connotation, it's those who have been hurt, those who have been affected by sin, those crushed by sin, and those who are living in sin. It's, it's these, this, the theme here is that they have struggled physically, spiritually, mentally, relationally. I thank Nathan for that moment that we could pray before because in that 30 second, I wasn't expecting this. I'm not sure who you pray for, but the names popped up in my head in those 30 seconds. Names of people going through divorce. Names of people wondering if they're going to come out of the hospital. Names of people who are fractured in their family. And so these are the people affecting us. And we are affected because we know how it feels to be left out. So these, we are the Bruce Reeves. And this matters to us because it's saying the Messiah is here and came. Not for the lucky-go-lucky, happy, healthy, everything's okay. But for those who say, I'm a bruised reed. I have hurt myself. I have hurt my family. I have, I'm living a fruit of a, of a decision that I regret from 20 years ago. So Christians have unfortunately become known for taking bruised reeds and we step on them. <laughs> In fact, a recent statistic said, the last place some people will go to for help is the church because they fear they will be judged. There's actually literally, there's literally a book on Amazon Prime right now titled, Why Do Christians Shoot Their Wounded? Isn't that sad? There's literally a book on Amazon Prime, five stars, 59 reviews. Why do Christians shoot their wounded? Because we are bruised people, but instead of being the hands and feet of Christ, we love raking it off. And so we got to figure this out. I don't think we, we figure this out. So corporately and individually, God is calling us to recognize this. Corporately, we're a bruised reed because as a society, we live in a broken world. <laughs> um, you know, I've been, I've been exchanging and I read, my favorite part, this is like a weird indulgence. When I read articles, I actually like reading the comments to the articles. Anyone else do that? Am I the only one? Thank you, uh, one person. Uh, and, and the hostility towards Christians is so thick. And once I had to respond and I said, they said, Christians are the cause of all the wars, hate, and death over history. And I had to respond. I'm not trying to be argumentative. 75 to 80% of charitable giving was done by religious, faithful people not the atheists, not the agnostics. I had to respond because I said, look up Lenin, Stalin, Pol Pot, and Hitler. Collectively, they killed 15 million people in the name of a system, not a God. And so we have selectively sorted through and to, to classify Christians. And I think it's because we have become known to do the opposite of what our Messiah has done. We take Bruce Reed's crumble it up, we say, you're no good, go to a different place, you don't belong here. And the Messiah comes. This is total opposite. Who are the sick? <laughs> the sick need the doctor, not the healthy. And so we see this happening, and God's justice is defined as this. I love this title. 
Let's read it together. This is from Dr. Mark Laberton. He's a president of Fuller Seminary, and he coined this, and I'm like, I'm going to steal that from him, but give him credit. Let's read it together. Justice is God's desire for rightly ordered power. It's not power that's wrong. It's corrupt power. It's misordered power. And so when we have the power to do good, but we don't do it, it's injustice. When we don't have the power and we are abused, it is injustice. And so what Mark Laberton says is the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ comes. It is justice of God's desire for rightly ordered power. So that when the power that be care for the weakest of these, that's justice. But when they crush them, exploit them, leverage them for financial gain, that's injustice. And so this text in Isaiah 42 is also in Matthew 12. And the context of it is fascinating. Because Matthew is saying, you know who this Isaiah servant is? Without a shadow of doubt, it is, we all know, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ knew it. And the context of Matthew 12 is more important than the actual text that he repeats. The context of it is this. The disciples were hungry. So what do you do when you're hungry? You eat. They don't have money. So what they do is properly, as ordered by Deuteronomy, they're allowed to take grain and eat. But they did it on Sabbath. And the Pharisees had an extra law that said on Sabbath, you are not to pick grain. That was their rules. That's not from God. Pharisees took like a few rules and made it a couple hundred. And so Jesus looks at that and says, wait a minute, did you not hear the story about David when his men were hungry? And D Jesus is saying, listen, these laws were made for man. A Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so in the context, what is Jesus saying here? Don't you dare push your unjust rules. When someone is hungry, feed them. Don't put your law upon them. And out of the name of piety, let them get hungry. Jesus is attacking directly against injustice by religious leaders, the Pharisees at the time. And so Matthew is connecting Isaiah 42 to Jesus and saying, this is what justice looks like. And so the servant in Isaiah is gentle. He's, he sees the bruised reeds. He goes to them. And he, his primary focus is to love them. Um, I never knew this because I grew up in a Korean tradition of Christmas. We had no idea what Elf on the Shelf was until two years ago. Like, forgive me. I, Elf on the Shelf was like, what is up with this Elf on the Shelf? How many of you don't know what Elf on the Shelf is? Let's be honest. Is it? Thank you. So, okay. Some, some of my white friends don't know either. So it's not just Asians. But you know the whole concept of the Elf on the Shelf is what? There's an Elf on the Shelf. And they're all, they got big eyes, and they're just looking at you. Because they want to report to Santa, have you been good? Have you been naughty or nice? So, there's, so the elf on the shelf go, moves around the whole house, and the kids are getting cookies, and they're like, oh, there's the elf. And it's asking you to live good because someone's watching you, right? Better be good. So that's the elf on the shelf. It's, it's cute. It's fun. And it's not meant to be, like, terrible. But... The Gospel Coalition came out with an article this week that I thought was phenomenal. They compared Elf on the Shelf with Jesus. And here's a summary of it in my own words. The Elf on the Shelf is, I saw you. Shane, Shane, know your name, right? 
Jesus is God who sees us. And instead of saying, I saw you, what does Jesus say? I see you. I see you. You're the bruised reed. I see your failures. I see your struggles. I see your pain. I see your grief. I see your frustration. I see you. And today, boy, do we need to hear that desperately. That God is not a God who says, I saw you. But he says, I am seeing you. And I love you. The Messiah, the servant, comes. A bruised reed, he will not break. He will not kick us when we're down. And so some of us, we're afraid of God to bring our sins because we think God will say, how dare you do that? And what God does is, I've been waiting for you. I see you. And so we want to be seen. We need to be seen. And the good news is that God's justice came. In Luke 4, what Jesus says is this. One day, he opens a scroll of Isaiah and he reads from Isaiah. And this is what Jesus reads. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty and the captives and recovering the sight of the blind. A lot of healing. At the end, he closes the scroll. And what does Jesus say? Today. Today. With me here, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Justice is rolling out. Why? The Isaiah Messiah has come. Jesus was born. He came to bring justice. And so this servant is different. But this servant isn't just fighting for justice. It's how he fought for justice. It's how he fought. In Matthew 27, 29, I want to share with you this verse. Um, let's read it together. And when they had planted, I'm sorry, pl typo, planted a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and smote him on the head. So ironic. The reed that God would take that's bent and bruised that he would heal, Jesus would heal, was the reed that was used to hit him in the head. And so when Isaiah 53 says this, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was what? Crushed, bruised, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. It's not that Jesus just came to bring justice. It's the way Jesus brought justice. He doesn't just say, are you bruised? He says, I'll take your bruise. He doesn't just say, oh, you're, you're, you're almost on the verge of breaking. He says, I'll take your brokenness. The very Messiah that comes for justice didn't just come to snap his finger and make the world right. He absorbs the bruises, the brokenness. He absorbs the sin. This is why we love Jesus. He is not just an inspiring teacher. He is the one Messiah, Lamb of God, who took on the bruises so we don't have to. This, how do you respond to that? How do you respond to that but other than crying in just joy and gratitude and giving him worship? And so people of faith, we give more. We praise more. We gather in worship at church on a rainy day 
because Jesus Christ is worthy of our worship. Sure, you could worship at home, but I'm going to gather with my brothers and sisters to proclaim your name is a strong and mighty power. How great is our God. We gather together to proclaim together, there is no one this world exists for. It is not about me. It is not about you. It is about the king of kings who took under crowns of thorns, took our reed, and died on the cross and rose again. I want to end with this. St. Augustine says this about Jesus. He endured death as a lamb. He devoured it as a lion. We're going to sing a song as a response titled The Lion and the Lamb. And I think the phrase came from St. Augustine. But I was just doing a little research. And then this phrase, it actually, the lion, Jesus is portrayed as a lion, Revelation 5, and the lamb. Um, in Revelation, the lamb is freaky. <laughs> Let me read it for us. Uh, Before the throne, four living creatures, among the elders, I saw a lamb, capital L, it's Jesus, as though it had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, which were seven spirits of God sent down into all the earth. Now, how many of you want to cuddle next to a lamb with seven eyes, seven horns? Like, the point of this is kind of like, uh, okay, symbolic, maybe it's about Rome. It is, yes and no. But I, I never knew this. I want to share this with you. The context of John writing in that vision, it's bizarre to us, yes? I like the Jesus with the wavy hair and two eyes. Well, think about the context. For the first century Jewish Christians, this was encouraging. Why would a lamb with seven eyes be encouraging? Because wherever they went, what empire surrounded them? Rome. And they had a god of weird statues, of weird things everywhere. And so in the context of all these mysterious creatures and foreign gods, Jesus is this mighty, powerful visual of a lamb with seven horns, seven eyes, which represents the spirits of God. And this is what the message is. And this is so encouraging. Christ is the one. The image of revelations aren't meant to intimidate or scare the believer. They are meant to intimidate and challenge the images of power we encounter all around us. I got chills reading that. In other words... There is no power in this world that could hold a candle to the power of the Lamb of God who is and who will be. That is the message to the early Christians and to us. Why will justice prevail? Because Jesus Christ is the Lion and the Lamb. He's the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. He's a Lion who rose over victory, in victory and in death. And so what this means for us, just a few, just 30 seconds of application. In Advent right now, we need to repent, receive the mercy of Christ who is not coming to crush you. He's coming to restore you. This is why the pastor, the church, the president, any human is not to be idolized. This is why we worship Christ. Second, as those who receive mercy, this is what the church is calling in. As God has seen you, open your eyes and see those who have been forgotten. The bruised reeds, the flickering candles, 
when the church takes its eyes off the world and only looks at itself, it is in, it is, a, it is like salt that has lost its saltiness. And so God is calling us, do something. Love them. Let life be more than about you. In 2023, stop thinking about yourself. Think of yourself less. Think of others. But this is the last conclusion, and I was thinking about our church. If this is God who comes to bring glory for himself, we have a mission. And this mission is, Lord, we need to proclaim your glory with the work that your son Jesus Christ did by being the one bruised so that we could be healed of our bruises. If this is our mission, it is impossible to fight and to nag about our preferences. Rather, we gather together to be on mission, to do the work until Jesus comes back. And when he comes back, we could say, Lord, to the very end, I have been faithful. And what we want to hear the Lord say to us is, well done, good, and faithful, not successful, faithful servant. Because this is how healed, redeemed people live in the kingdom of God. Amen. Let this be our Christmas Advent hymn. Lord, you are the lion and the lamb. Lord, it, it is so good to know that we are seen. And though the world may say we're ignored and doesn't even blink an eye, and everyone is jockeying for the most visual, the most likes, the most exposure to be, I don't know, an influencer, <laughs> we rest in this good news that the God of this universe turns his countenance towards us and says, I see you. God, change us in that love so that we may be a church that brings your glory to the world by turning people's heart to this good news that they may see what you have done. Use us, God. Use this church. Use every aspect of it so that at the end of the day, it's not a person's name, but it's the name above all names that is lifted up on this hill in Hillsboro. God, this is our prayer and our hope. We feel seen. We are seen by your son who died and rose again. And we thank you that you are the one who takes away all this brokenness. Lord, may this Christmas news uh, spread during this season of Advent. And may you show us where to go. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.